Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Chris Lowe, senior college football writer at ESPN.com. We dive into his expectations for Vanderbilt under Clark Lee, comparisons to Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, and comparing the trajectory of Vanderbilt and Tennessee after the Josh Heupel hire today. We also touch on David Rye and Joey Lynch being added to Coach Lee's staff offensively, and also Coach Stackhouse's post-game comments after the loss to Arkansas. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report. Let's ride. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. Welcome back into The Door Report. It is episode 67. It is Wednesday, January 27th, 2021. I'm reporting live here in Naples, Florida. Will, back up in Nashville. We're not in the same city anymore, but we're still getting at it, getting after it here at The Door Report. We are, as always, presented by Alaco Finewood Floors. Willie, we got a decent amount to talk to. We haven't been, uh, it's been about almost a week since our last episode, but um, man, there's, there's been a lot going on, especially with the staff, Clark Lee. It seems like this staff is going to be huge uh, with all these, these people he's adding, but uh, definitely fun times uh, on West End in terms of football. Yeah, it's been a little bit too long. There's been a lot of news, whether it's around Vanderbilt or or around uh, the guys out east with coaching hires and coaching moves. And I think a lot of the what we're going to be discussing on the season in progress right now, which is uh, basketball, is going to be discussing coaching as well with Stackhouse taking to Twitter and with some interesting DMs directly to fans that that was, that was pretty uh, unique. You don't see that a lot with uh, college college no, you basketball. Don't. I coaches. think college basketball coaches are losing some hairs uh, this season. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it has not been even for coach K, the the greatest coach of all time. So we will touch on Stackhouse everything going on with the program. Um but will, we got a couple of new offensive gurus coming uh, on Clark Lee's, Clark Lee's staff. Colorado State's offensive coordinator Joey Lynch is coming in to be the quarterback coach and the passing game coordinator so big hire there but Vanderbilt also set to bring in uh, David Rye who was the receivers coach at uh, with the Arizona Cardinals so definitely some big hires there we'll we'll touch on will the Vanderbilt Commodores on the on the hardwood they got Florida again tonight so we'll see what what happens in that rematch and Tennessee uh, we had Big T on earlier obviously we'll see what uh, we, we don't have him on today but um, again it hasn't been great reviews on Josh Heupel uh, in Knoxville we'll touch a little bit on that and Chris Lowe um, the native of Knoxville he covers uh, SEC football for ESPN.com we'll talk a little SEC football with Chris Lowe touch on the Clark Lee hire and all that and much more so uh, we got a lot of that coming up before we get to breaking news, though, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. While you're at it, go give our podcast five stars and review on iTunes. It's now time for breaking news. Today's breaking news is brought to you by the Recycling Dudes. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? 
Well, their brothers Graydon and Chapman and their dad. Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter living in West Mead. The recycling dudes recognized the need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at RecyclingDudes.com. All right, Will, David Rye, he is coming over uh, from the Arizona Cardinals. I didn't know a whole lot about this guy. I, I, I doubt, you know, I doubt you did either. But Vanderbilt fans, I think, are, are starting to realize how smart this guy is and, and, and kind of, you know, what he's about. He played at Iowa and, and you know, he, he's kind of been under the wing of Cliff Kingsbury, which I think is pretty impressive in and of itself. So, well, I know you like him, and I think this guy has a chance to, to kind of elevate this offense, you know, to places they really haven't been. Yeah, Billy, he's one of the few guys on the staff that that almost felt like a reach a little bit. Um, I'd heard the name before. I obviously didn't know much before uh, his name started circulating around um, that offensive coordinator position with rumors. But anybody who studies under the tutelage of Cliff Kingsbury um, that obviously was at Texas Tech is is definitely somebody you want associated with your program. But it is a big jump. Um, up to the offensive coordinator position at Vanderbilt. But just a little background on him, because his story is actually pretty fascinating. Wild, he played yeah. quarterback at the University of Iowa. Um, his career was pretty limited due to injuries. He had surgery um, twice on his throwing arm, both in 1999 and 2002. And so actually, pr- he initially didn't come out to to coach out of college. So uh, yeah. when he graduated, he came out and he was a sales rep. Um, at Zimmer Inc., uh, selling orthopedic uh, devices, making really, really good money, and he actually left that six-figure salary job uh, to take to become an unpaid intern at UCLA in 2008 and 2009. Would you have done so, that, Will? I, I don't think I would do that, but but obviously it's working out well for him as he's kind of made a meteoric rise that I'll run through really quickly. Yeah. Uh, so he's at UCLA in 08 and 09. He spent three seasons as a graduate assistant making. Uh, no money almost at Iowa, his, his alma mater. Um, he was assisting with tight ends in the offensive line. Then he joined the Texas Tech staff under Kingsbury, uh, and that's kind of where he's, he's followed him just a little bit uh, to the Cardinals most recently. Um, but he was eventually promoted to outside receivers coach before their bowl game in 2013 before moving on uh, to the NFL level where he coached with the Packers for five seasons. Um, he worked with pretty much everything on that offense. He, wow. he was eventually the wide receivers coach. He worked as an assistant offensive line coach, offensive perimeter coach. And what he was initially hired for, which I had never heard this. Um, so you have to tell me, Billy, if, <laughs> if you know exactly what this means, but he was initially hired as the team's coaching administrator. So I'm not wow. sure exactly I, uh, what that position is. Is that a general but, manager? But, Maybe a little you know, I really didn't know role. what a what a perimeter, I didn't know a perimeter offense coach, offensive coach really existed. So, um, so <laughs> I mean, pretty Vanderbilt could use titles. that. Yeah. And then he moved on to the Cardinals where he was under Kingsbury and, and was actually coaching uh, former Commodore standout Trent Sherfield there, who, who's carved out a nice little yeah. career for himself there, there in Arizona alongside Larry Fitzgerald. And then he becomes the co- the offensive coordinator of Vanderbilt. So this will be his first true coordinator role um, obviously, Clark Lee has confidence in this guy. He's younger. He's about 40, I believe, Sim- similar age to Lee, a little bit younger. Mm. Um, but but he's going to definitely have some outside-the-box thinking, and he's never yeah. been in this position before, which is probably why it's extremely good. Uh, the next guy that we'll be talking about, uh, they brought in Joey Lynch, who mm. has had 
experience as an offensive coordinator and moved down to take the uh, quarterback coaching or position coach job and the passing game coordinator position. Yeah, interesting hire kind of there. It's another kind of a lateral move for for a guy that in Joey Lynch, who has been highly revered as as you know a great offensive mind. But back to David Rye, Will, and I think you'd agree. I got a few things. Seems like a very innovative mind, a young coach who who can you know, like you said, bring in some different twists and turns. But I think a little, a few, uh, kind of a patch of Vanderbilt fans definitely thought this was a little out of left field, as you kind of mentioned. He's never called plays. He's never been an offensive coordinator. Um, so I think his relationship with Coach Lynch is going to be big time because Lynch has called plays. Um, and it's almost as if, you know, you would see it the other way around because Lynch has called plays. But their relationship is going to be key because if they can form kind of a, a dynamic duo and work together with Seals, the receivers, and, and, and even Coach McKenzie, the running backs, I think that's going to be crucial. So you could see something like a co-offensive coordinator. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, you know, you, you know, you know. With Lynch, he's called plays, especially at a school like Colorado State, and Mike knew at Ball State who had a lot of success there as well. So um, I like Lynch a lot. I, I, you know, Rye is 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 he going to bring the air raid in? I don't know, but you know, <laughs> I don't think that's definitely. I don't think that's necessarily what Vanderbilt um, is is is. Um, wants right or needs right now you know because ken seals he 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 played like we talked about really well in the rpo but you know with the speed outside not not quite sure if vanderbilt's ready for their for the air raid but there you could see some of those concepts i guess is what i'm saying yeah i definitely like that they've brought in some guys that have wide receiver coaching experience because the event because vanderbilt has a history of having some pretty damn good receivers even, yeah. even in the sec and and right now i would if you could point at one thing and say that's the strength of this offense. Uh, you would probably point at a Ken Seals being a being a, basically a redshirt freshman this upcoming year, and then looking at those receivers they have out there with Cam Johnson coming back and and the rest of that cast. So yeah. looking at um, the having offense. guys that work with them, but yeah, you mentioned it. Uh, the the co offensive coordinator position yeah. kind of feels what this is like without the official titles with the uh -huh. passing game coordinator um, <laughs> coming in with Joey Lynch. I, I would say he's going to have a lot of input on on those play-by-play -play calls yeah. but it, i think it i think kind of nice that vanderbilt isn't trying to just bring in kind of this trudged through already already yeah. kind of down the beaten path had had a had some failures at some bigger schools offensive coordinators so bring in a young guy that that doesn't necessarily have a set game plan or, or a set i'm sure he has an offensive philosophy but a super set in stone offensive philosophy with with this young roster definitely isn't that's definitely not a negative no and we talked about with mitch light last week he said clark is going to take his time he's a deliberate guy and he took his time on this hire he didn't go out like you said and, and get you know that that top candidate but um again he's He's, he's, I'm knocking stuff up. Hey, Will, Will's getting desk. excited about these two hires. I'm too <laughs> fired up. I'm, I'm knocking drinks over. Hey, we're uh, we're fired up, though, <laughs> just like all of Commodore Nation are. Um, oh, that's going to be something to remember. <laughs> but uh, we can, uh, while you're fixing that up, Will, we'll roll along here. We got we do have some basketball to talk about. Jerry Stackhouse um, has his Commodores playing in Gainesville tonight. Uh, Florida is a 12 and a half point favorite. Um, that game tips off 6:30 p.m. Eastern time tonight on the SEC Network. Well, last time out, the Commodores got basically demolished uh, by the Gators, 91-72 in Memorial Gym to a Florida team. We talked about it that hadn't played a game in about what 19 days prior to that one. So that was really disappointing. You know, you were hoping Vanderbilt would get off to a good start in SEC play, and they haven't. You know, they haven't won a game yet in the SEC. 
tonight. Is it a different story? Who knows? It's on the road. Obviously, tough place to play won't be the same environment, but Florida 12.5-point favorite, I, I mean, that, I think the line could even be a little bit bigger. The way this team is playing defensively will – it's just not – they're not a very um, – you know, they're not a dangerous team. They don't show, um, you know, any of those capabilities to, to make a run, you know, um, in an SEC tournament, much less even win um, a couple games in this regular season. So, well, it's going to be tough again tonight, and, and it just seems like Vanderbilt is, is really struggling to find any consistency offensively or defensively. Yeah, I really wanted to come on here and and run through some data and run through some analytics from Ken Palm and different websites that that track that analytical adjusted data based based on strength of schedule and everything. And I found out pretty quickly about 15, 20 minutes into looking at doing a deep dive into the analytics around Vanderbilt that um, their losses and wins can be broken down pretty easily. Uh, and number one, their wins are against really bad teams and all of their losses are against decent or good teams. So that's about it. So Vanderbilt <laughs> is currently in Ken Palm. They have not beat a team no, no numbers. Uh, with an offensive efficiency ranked above 259th in the country. Um, so that's not ideal, but just running through Vanderbilt a little bit, their offense really isn't that awful. Um, their offensive no, efficiency is about, a, it, it's about 106 in the nation and that varies. Um, back and forth, but their defense is so awful. And a lot of that is contributed to the fact that we haven't had a healthy Cleavon Brown out uh-huh. there, and he's kind of a rim protector. But Scottie Pippen's not very good defensively. Dylan DeSue's not really good defensively. Um, a lot of the uh, – Trey Thomas, obviously, with his size, struggles defensively. And this team just doesn't have an identity on that end of the floor, much less what we talk about week in, week out, where they really – offensive uh, – identity on the other side of the court um, besides give the ball to Scotty Pippen and get the hell out of the way <laughs> I mean yeah that's basically uh, what their offense is he's averaging 21 a game he's got five assists Pippen's playing well I mean that that's just about the only bright spot DeSue's starting to kind of slowly develop 13 points a game Harvey has eight a game so does Jordan Wright and Miles Studi so those are the guys right now that are that are putting up um, you know any kind of production but Will something that strikes me about this team is the leadership Where's the leadership? You know, obviously it's still a young team, a young program. Coach Stackhouse is a fairly young coach in his second year coaching an SEC school. It just seems like this team is is um, is very unfamiliar with kind of the competitive style and, and how to win games, especially in a conference like the SEC. Because you look at this team, they're not a particularly physical team, but they are decently athletic. We've talked about it, Will. DeSue is a versatile Four man. I mean, he has a potential to be a really good player. So is Pippen. And those two guys could be NBA guys down the road. Um, and then you look down the road, DJ Harvey hoped this year would be a big year for him. But I guess what I'm getting to, Will, is where's the competitive nature? You know, there's no, there's no, I, I haven't really seen a culture um, kind of created. So, and it kind of goes along with what Coach Stackhouse said after the game. And Coach Stackhouse was putting a lot of the blame on the players, um, which, you know, a lot of time, sometimes you see with coaches, it, it varies. Um, and sometimes there are times to put blame on players. Um, but right now, I think as a coach, and I'm not telling him what to do, but right now I, I feel like the right thing to do is just say, hey, we're not where we want to be right now. And we need to work as a, as a staff and as a team, as a unit, rather than, you know, kind of putting it all on the players you know, and so I think you're in agreement too, but 
it was just really disappointing hearing that from Coach Stackhouse. He did apologize. He said, you know, he wasn't in the right frame of mind. A lot of times that happens, um, you know, after the in those press conferences. But I think the key is leadership, Will. Uh, and once this team finds it, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't see this team winning, you know, three, even four games in the yeah, SEC. You touched on it, the, the leadership. And I don't know that Stackhouse thus far in his in his career has been a good leader. Um, he's arguing with fans and DMs. Um, he's kind of, I don't want to say immature because he's obviously a grown man who played in the NBA for years and, and was a veteran there. But as far as coaching, I think his maturity along with the team needs to grow um, because right now everything is through Pippen and he's not exactly at least what we see on the court during the game, a very vocal leader. And just getting back to how heavy they are in the in relying on Scottie Pippen. I mean, if you take him off this team, I think that they're getting absolutely blown out even worse, obviously even worse, but blown out by 30, 40 each night. Right now, Pippen is fourth in the country in usage rate. So that means that he's pretty much responsible or to blame for about 35% of their possessions during yeah. a game. And he's putting up 32% of their shots. Mm -hmm. So he he is the offense. He is the team. And they haven't had anybody step up. And Stackhouse hasn't done a good job of utilizing timeouts to stop these runs. And, and we keep waiting on that to improve as he kind of sees the flow of games. And he just goes home with a lot of timeouts in his pocket. And that that is is really bad when you have a team like Vanderbilt that seems to continuously go on these stretches of scoring droughts and, and we watch games where Vanderbilt has a 17-15 lead and and it'll be eight, an eight minute stretch and you'll look up and they're down 35 to 20 yeah. and Stackhouse hasn't called a timeout like you that. only have the TV timeout so yeah. I, I'm looking for that to improve throughout the season obviously this team is not going to be even close to an NIT level team um, much less an NCAA tournament team. So watching these guys mature, because I believe they're still not even uh, top 200 in, in experience, but um, I'll have to go check on that. So they have a lot of room for growth, a lot of young talent, mm -hmm. um, and, and but that can go two ways. And you're seeing that with Stackhouse. It, which way is it going to go? I still don't know at this point. Um, I, I believe that he does have the basketball, basketball wow. philosophy, basketball mindset to get it done, but does he have – all of the all of the other eighty percent that goes into being a, a Division one college basketball coach at, at the Power Five level. And I guess, Will, where we take this conversation is what's next, you know. And I know coaches obviously are not typically thinking about that, but you talked about kind of his um, his personality, and and you know he's he's different than a lot of the other SEC coaches. Um, you know, he's obviously a younger guy and he's new. Um, but what has to happen, I guess, for Coach Stackhouse to kind of solidify a culture? And, and, and solidify kind of his stance because right now he is treading water and I don't think Vanderbilt is, is going to put up with much more of this. Um, so I guess what I'm asking is what has to happen this season, the second half of this season, or can anything even happen um, to change, I guess, kind of the, the repu Stackhouse's reputation in the SEC? Well, he needs to delete social media because um, he has gigantic ears and hears everything that, that people say. When you're in the spotlight and your team's struggling, there's going to be a lot of negativity on Twitter. And we talked about it when when players and, and fans were were getting on to fans on social media for getting mad at the football team and, and saying things. And you're going to have two flip. You can't have a passionate fan base and only expect positivity. Um, so you have to take both sides of that coin for better or for worse. If people care, 
they're going to be frustrated and upset when you're losing and take that anger out onto onto you with a knee-jerk reaction and Stackhouse has to be mature as the leader of that program face of that program and and just take it and move on and use it as motivation he can't drop down to that level into into the briar pit because that's where those people want to take him it doesn't matter uh it, to those p it doesn't matter to Stackhouse who those people are those people are irrelevant I've been negative on Twitter I'm pretty irrelevant next to Jerry Stackhouse um but he he responding back to them gives them legs and gives them viability and then that's just going to continue because they know they can get a rise they know they can get a reaction so number one is stackhouse needs to get the hell off social media delete all his social media accounts i don't mm -hmm. care if it hurts recruiting get off of there focus on the team the team needs to come together and realize that they need a vocal leader they don't have a guy out there that's that's yelling or not yelling, but but getting in someone's ear whenever mm -hmm. they don't rotate over on defense, getting in huddling up by the free throw line when they when they see these stretches coming. They don't have any leaders out there that are very vocal. I'm sure they do have some emerging in practice, but just different types of leadership style. But seeing a more vocal leader on the court will be huge. And then just finding a secondary scorer because right now it's all Pippen. We've said that all season. We said that going into the season. And it's just something that I don't really see developing this year. It's going to be bringing in more guys with more talent because right now Vanderbilt's 14 out of 14 in talent in this conference. Yeah, we'll have to see. And again, it's going to be interesting to see how many of these guys stay for next year. And, you know, we're not there yet, but after this season, that will be something to watch, no doubt. Something to watch tonight for Vanderbilt fans if you're down to watch. 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, SEC Network, Florida and the Commodores in Gainesville. All right, well, one more piece of news to get to here quickly. Let's go out east. Uh, talk about Tennessee's hiring of Josh Heupel. Um, well, I got a few things here on this. I know you do too. Um, you know, hiring Josh Heupel tells me that there wasn't a whole lot of interest in this Tennessee job. Um, and for good reason. I mean, Tennessee right now is just, they're, they're not in a great spot at all. Um, and, and I thought it was really interesting that Tennessee fired Jeremy Pruitt. They hired a coaching and AD search firm paid an AD $1.4 million a year, all to essentially become UCF. Like, I mean, they, they, they AD from UCF, um, Danny White, and now they just brought in Josh Heupel from UCF. So, you know, this is a Vanderbilt podcast, but Will, um, Vanderbilt and Tennessee football are definitely, they're not where they want to be yet, but I think Vanderbilt is is trending up and Tennessee is 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 kind of, you know, where, where are they? You know, I, I don't know if, if they know where they are. Yeah, Vanderbilt's had better coaches than Tennessee in the past, uh, whether it's James Franklin, some of the years with Derek Mason. Yeah, on the um, stat sheet, to, more successful. Yeah, yeah, on the stat sheet, more successful. I don't think Vanderbilt has ever had a higher, just head coach for head coach, near the same time that you looked at both of their resumes and say Vanderbilt's hire is better. His resume yeah. is better. It just is. <laughs> and Vanderbilt won, the, and you say it's, it is a Vanderbilt podcast. But Vanderbilt and Tennessee, regardless of whether they want to admit it and we want to admit it, are, are intertwined. It's better when that rivalry oh, is, yeah. a, is a real rivalry, it, like it's been in the past few years. College football is just better, uh -huh. um, especially in the Southeast. So I think Tennessee fans are still, we all know they're living in the 90s, but I still think they're living in 2005, 2006. And, and when I say that, the, college football recruiting is unique because the guys you're recruiting are 16, 17 years old. So if you're nationally irrelevant like Tennessee has been, they haven't been even close to competing 
um, for uh, on the national stage since about 2005. Uh -huh. So that's that's 15 years. So the last time that Tennessee was really nationally relevant, I'm not saying a good team top 25 I'm saying national contender uh -huh. was 15 years ago. So when these guys were two years old, they don't remember that. So they're like Tennessee. That's like Nebraska. That's mm -hmm. not I mean, they're irrelevant. You have to go up to Knoxville. It's not a big city. You have to play in the SEC. It's it's the same amount of national exposure as any power five team. And they have a big stadium that looks very decrepit. So here we are. And I think Tennessee fans, for some reason in their mind, have this idea it's a premier top five, top ten job. And we had their eyes set on these guys that would be leaving other top five, top ten jobs. And that's just not the case anymore, especially when Jeremy Pruitt and Philip Fulmer are leaving a wake of recruiting violations and what is going to end up being NCAA sanctions. I, I don't I wouldn't want to come into that position because you on top of those reasons you then have a fan base that has expectations of a top 10 team and they haven't been a top 10 team in 15 20 years so they don't have a leash and that's something about vanderbilt why they're able to bring in some of these guys that have been bringing in is they've seen the patience of the fan base and the administration Clark they Lee, get baby. seven years that's very appealing to a college coach saying uh -huh. i have time to get this right yeah and it's it not looks a, like Vanderbilt is finally bringing some support in from the administration. So I'm excited. I don't think Tennessee fans are excited. I, I texted Big T, my buddy Connor Knapp, and yeah, was well, hoping for a comment from him, but but he hasn't responded yet. So yeah. if, I, if he gives a juicy response, I'll make sure to, to throw it in there into our door report group <laughs> big, and maybe tweet it out. Big T from Barstool, not happy. He wrote a piece. Uh, Josh Heupel is the new head coach of a Tennessee football program that is officially dead. Um, so he <laughs> yeah, he was at, did you he he had a live stream yesterday, and I, I was laughing in tears. He was at the airport where they said they were going to be landing the plane in the freezing sleet up in the Northeast. So uh, that was pretty funny to watch it. If uh, we got some comedy and then some, and then some immediate disappointment with the hire. At, uh, we we got to get, we got to get big T back on here yeah. uh, on TDR soon. But uh, again, he was so fun, but Josh Eipel is the head coach in Tennessee and Danny White is the AD. So UCF is the new, or Tennessee is the new UCF, I guess. Um, well, we're going to have to close it out here. We're going to move now into Chris Lowe. Um, he, he's obviously a guy that is, that has covered a, a lot of football in his day. Uh, but again, we got Chris Lowe coming up next here on the door report. Uh, we are as always presented by Alaco Finewood floors. Episode 67 rolls on Chris Lowe from ESPN.com coming right up. Before we get to our interview with Chris Lowe, senior college football writer over at ESPN.com, it's now time to send it over to Gary Scales for a few words on our presenting sponsor, Alaco Finewood Floors. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Finewood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. Welcome back into the Door Report. I am unfortunately not joined by my usually co-host Will Byram, but I am joined by a special guest. His name is Chris Lowe. He's an ESPN senior college football writer, born in Missouri, raised in South Carolina. Now he's settled down in Tennessee, and obviously um, he's been covering uh, college football for a long time, especially um, in the SEC. Chris, thanks for taking the time today. Uh, it's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, Chris, I want to start, you know, we'll talk a, a lot about Clark Lee coming to Vanderbilt, obviously Josh Heupel at Tennessee, a couple of programs kind of starting to, you know, solidify their their future and kind of what, what they want. But Clark Lee coming to Nashville back home, um, you know, to a place where obviously he's very familiar with. What were your, was your initial take on, on that and, and, and kind of what to expect, especially with, with so much, you know, turmoil and turnover with, with that uh, roster? You know, the thing that jumped out to me about Clark's hire at Vanderbilt is, is they got somebody, Billy, that really wanted to be at Vanderbilt, that understands Vanderbilt, played there, grew up in the mid-state. Uh, you know, Clark doesn't walk in there with his eyes shut. He understands what he's getting into. He understands Vanderbilt, the culture at Vanderbilt. I, I know he takes a lot of pride in being there, uh, having played in that program, having you know, gotten his degree there. Uh, you know, it, it's I think we talk about fit in college sports and, and fit among college football coaches. Clark fits Vanderbilt for a lot of reasons. A, it's home. A, he understands the program. But I think when you look at his last two coaching stops, he coached at Notre Dame, he coached at Wake Forest, uh, places that were very much academic centric. Uh, and, and, you know, let's be honest, at Vanderbilt, you recruit from a different pool of kids than a lot of the schools you're facing in the SEC, most of them anyway. And I think when you're at Notre Dame, when you're at Wake Forest, uh, you sort of get a feel for what kind of kids you're looking for, what kind of kids will prosper in that kind of academic environment. So I think that's good, I want to say practice, but certainly good background for Clark as he now comes to Vandy and recruits those, try to, tries to recruit those same kind of kids who also are good football players. Mm. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you know, obviously coaching a lot of really good players at, at Notre Dame and, and trying to bring that over to a school like Vanderbilt will be a challenge. You know, it's going to be a challenge in his first season. But Chris, for, for Clark Lee, what what is what's ahead of him? You know, what, what are some of the, the hurdles he's going to have to face? Obviously, there's, you know, the, the facilities, upgrades and stuff like that. But in terms of roster development and, and, and kind of a recruiting mentality, what do you think is ahead of him in, in that regard? Well, the first thing I like about his situation is, you know, the AD that hired him, Candace, that's her hire. You know, it, it's not like you're coming in and you're passed off, you know, by somebody else or maybe somebody that hired you or, or you know, sh she's not just replacing somebody. She went out and she hired Clark. I, mm -hmm. You want to work for somebody who hired you. Yeah. And I think I like that about the situation. She, clearly, she has confidence in him. She thinks he's the best person to lead their football program. Uh, you know, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. There's a reason the Vandy was winless last year. Now, it, it, I think it was hard this year to assess a lot of coaches, a lot of programs because of the COVID. I mean, all the challenges that everybody went through. Uh, but Nadia Clark understands, again, what the challenges are at Vanderbilt. I like the fact when you look at his staff, Billy, he's got a nice mix mm -hmm. of, of guys who coach college ball, and he's going into the NFL and got guys. Yeah guys that were position coaches in NFL and made them his coordinators. Mm -hmm. I think that will appeal to players. Because, you know, I don't care if you're at Vanderbilt. I don't care if you're at Tennessee. I don't care if you're at Washington State, at Wake Forest. Just about all these kids you sign, most of them anyway, want to think that they've got a chance if they're developed and coached the right way and they've got the right kind of work ethic to at least get a shot to play in the NFL, to play pro football. So if you assemble a staff where guys have worked in the NFL, that's, I think that's a pretty nice selling point. And also a mix of guys who've worked at the collegiate level. 
you know, when you look at Clark's background, the fact, you know, everybody thinks Notre Dame, you get all the best players. Well, Notre Dame gets good players. Uh-huh. I mean, they, if you look at their recruiting classes, they typically rank somewhere in the top 20. They're not usually in the top five. Uh-huh. But you look at some of the players that he was able to develop at Notre Dame on defense, guys that weren't necessarily four or five-star players that ended up being really good football uh-huh. players. Uh, I think that speaks to his ability to coach and develop football players. No doubt about it. And, you know, you look at a Wusu Koromoa, a guy who was a three-star, and there's several other guys that he developed, and, and that's kind of the mold at Vanderbilt, as you know, Chris. And you, you touched on the staff a little bit. I want to ask a little bit about some of those guys. Barton Simmons, I, you know, I think could prove to be a big hire for Clark as a general manager with his uh, footprint in recruiting, especially a guy like Norval McKenzie. He retains Javon Hay. So you talked about the mix. What about those guys makes them great fits at Vanderbilt, especially Barton Simmons, who it's an out-of-the-box hire, but, man, could that be, you know, a, a, def, a big selling point for a lot of recruits? Well, I mean, he knows he knows the recruiting landscape. And, and you know, it's one thing to be Ohio State and Bama and, and Texas, and, you, you know, you sort of pick. You don't really recruit. You go select guys. <laughs> you know, at Vanderbilt, you, you really tr- truly have to be really good evaluators of talent. You have to go places and maybe be creative and find guys that, you know, aren't on everyone's All-American list or aren't quote-unquote five stars. And I think getting someone who's done it, who's followed recruiting very closely the way Barton has, uh, that's a leg up. You know, you know maybe where some guys are. You know contacts in the recruiting world. You know coaches that you've dealt with, guys over the years that whether they're seven-on-seven guys or trainers that, hey, this kid in – Texas or this kid in Illinois mm-hmm. probably not getting the attention that he deserves but boy he's a really good football player you ought to look at him I mean those are that type of thing is invaluable so I think yeah it's, a, it's it is an out-of-the-box hire but I think it's a smart hire and uh and you mentioned the mix I, I think it's 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 smart to have people not only you know you keep somebody on the staff but going to the NFL you go into college you know that mix who, who they challenge each other maybe they look at when they're looking at film of recruits, you know, one guy maybe with an NFL background may look at a prospect differently than someone who's been in the, in the college ranks for a few years. Mm-hmm. And, and you talk about it, you debate it, you know, this guy versus that guy. Uh, that helps you. I think to have that mix of, of opinions, that diversity of, of experience, because you're right, you, you, you can't afford at Vanderbilt. You know, if Ohio State signs 20-plus kids and you miss on – six or seven of them that's not the end of the world no you know it's it, because you you've you've stockpiled enough talent there that you're still going to be pretty good if mm-hmm. you're a Vanderbilt and you missed on six seven eight guys in a year that could be devastating so yeah. you got to hit it just right yeah that definitely hurts and and I know we love to compare in college football we love to compare teams especially rivalry teams Vanderbilt and Tennessee um, it seems like these past couple few years Chris has kind of lost a little bit of its luster and and, and what what Tennessee just did, bringing in Josh Heupel, you know, people have, have, have a lot of opinions on it. But what Vanderbilt just did, how would you compare kind of the trajectory of these two programs? A tradition-rich team like Tennessee, obviously hiring Josh Heupel, Vanderbilt kind of going back to their roots. How would you compare and contrast kind of where both of these programs are at at this point? You know, both of them are different in that I, I think both of them wanted to sort of get what they felt like was the right fit for them. Mm-hmm. You know, no, you mentioned Notre Dame going and, and, and getting 
someone who's been there, been in the program, who's from the mid-state. But they also got a guy who was a commodity as a coordinator at a place like Notre Dame uh-huh. that has tasted at the highest level. Notre Dame, the last few years, have has either been in the playoff, has played in the BCS National Championship game. They, they have competed at a high, high level, and it's Notre Dame. I mean, yeah. one of the best brands, most iconic brands in all of college football. So I, I doubt that anything Clark Lee walks into – whether it's recruiting, whether it's, you know, dealing with the media, whether it's, you know, things that happen in the practice field, situations in the game, you know, is going to overwhelm him because uh-huh. he's been at Notre Dame. He's been on one of the premier stages in all of college football. Um, so I think he makes a lot of sense. At Tennessee, you know, Tennessee was swinging pretty big. You know, they were out there, you know, talking to guys like James Franklin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they reached out to Matt Campbell. Uh, Tony Elliott, the Clemson OC, uh, they talked to a lot of different people and or reached out to a lot of different people. Um, you know, you, you look across some of the hot names in college football. Uh, Luke Fickle at Cincinnati was a guy that they reached out to. Uh, Billy Napier. I mean, some of these same names you've heard in coach searches over the last month. And listen, no, no AD ever gets turned down. I mean, that's just the way it happens. They, you know, it's all semantics. But clearly, they, they tried to cast a wide net to see what was out there. They kicked the tires of a lot of guys, and they landed on, on Josh Heupel. I, I think that's not that Josh Heupel was not in Danny White's uh, on his radar the whole time, but clearly he was not the absolute number one guy they went after. But that mm-hmm. happens sometimes in coach searches. Sometimes the top guy uh, or the, top, the second guy or the third guy, and you end up getting – maybe a guy that was not the very first target you went after who ends up being a really good football coach. I think with, without question, Danny White has a really good comfort zone with Josh Heupel. They've worked together. Heupel has put some really explosive offenses on the field at UCF. He's been good at quarterback. Uh, he played quarterback on a big stage. We talked about Clark being on a big stage as a coach at Notre Dame. Josh Heupel played at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. They won a national championship. So, there again, I think that helps when you come into a place like a Tennessee, you come into a conference like the SEC. I think all those things are pluses. Was James Franklin to Tennessee a rumor, or did, did Danny White make contact with James Franklin? Oh, there was definitely contact, and I think okay. there was some discussion. Wow. Um, and I think James is – you know, what James did there at Vanderbilt speaks for itself. I mean, back-to-back nine-win seasons, he beat Tennessee two times – Really should have beat him a third time. That game went into overtime and they lost. Mm. Uh, A terrific coach and and a great molder of teams and talent. I mean, James is one of those guys, man, as soon as he walks into the room, there's a presence about him. And I'm sure a lot of schools have reached out to James and will continue to reach out to James, you know, over the next few years. Uh And Tennessee was smart to do so. You know, he's coaching the state. He's coaching the SEC. I think James listened, but at the end of the day, he's got a good job. He's an elite program. I don't know that he ever was going to come to Tennessee, but you never say no either. When someone calls you, I don't care if you're working in some, you know, big time corporation or you're working in a, in a football program and people call and say, Hey, we're legitimately interested. We're going to pour all these resources into it. We can pay you a lot of money. Then you listen. But I, and I think that's what James did. But at the end of the day, I think James felt like there was not a compelling reason 
for him to leave Penn State for Tennessee. Yeah, after surviving, you know, this this season at Penn State, he's got to feel a little bit, you know, like he's got that stability there. Real quick here, Chris, a couple before I let you go. The SEC released their 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 you know each team schedule today. Some interesting matchups. I know Vanderbilt goes to Colorado State. Stanford comes to Nashville, so there's a lot of fun matchups, especially you know even with Tennessee and some of the other big time programs. What is right now? You know, I mean, I think a lot of us are acting like these games are happening next week. What is what does that say about you know the 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 fandom that you've been around the SEC, two hundred what something days away? We're we're talking about it right now as if these are happening this weekend. Well, I mean, it, it, you're right. It sort of it sort of underscores just how passionate SEC fans are about football, and I mean, they're always looking forward to the next season. You know, the next recruit, the next game, uh, and I love the fact that Vandy and Stanford are playing. I mean, two of the lead academic institutions in all of college football. I know, I know Clark has said, hey, we don't want to be Stanford. We don't want to be Northwestern. But there's no reason that Vanderbilt can't be like those programs, like those academic-centric schools that have put good football programs on the field. We've seen it happen. You know, Vanderbilt fans got a taste of it under James. And, you know, so we know it's possible. You know, and I don't think Bobby Johnson gets enough credit no, no. for what he did at Vanderbilt. I mean, he left James some really good football players, uh-huh. you know, and won and beat Tennessee. He ended that long streak against Tennessee. So I think Bobby, as we look back on his tenure, that we probably all should appreciate what he did there at Vanderbilt. Being able to sustain it over a number of years, that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. But I also think, Billy, that Vanderbilt's got to help Clark. You know, they, they've got to step up and player amenities, and I know Clark's talked about the locker room. you got to do things for the players when kids come on campus, when grandmoms and uncles and dads and moms come on campus and tour your facilities. You don't got to have a 90,000-seat stadium. You don't have to have lazy rivers around your stadium. But you know what? Where kids are going to spend their most time, uh, in the locker room, players' lounge, uh, the weight room, all those things where you're developed, or you're spending a bunch of your, what, what I call player amenities. Uh-huh. That's where I think Vanderbilt probably, well, no, probably to it. They need to step up, spend the money, yeah. and give Clark a better chance. No doubt. And we'll see with these new locker rooms. Apparently, the people that did LSUs with the pods are, are, are like you just talked about, the amenities. So we'll see with that. One more here, Chris. You touched on Northwestern and Stanford. Obviously, Pat Fitzgerald just got an extension through 2030, which is, I mean, that cements him there. That's his home. Do you see that potentially happening with Clark Lee at Vanderbilt? It is his home. He was born and raised in Nashville. That's where his parents are. You know, do you see, obviously, you know, we, we can't tell the future, but is there potential there with, with kind of a Northwestern style of, of program at Vanderbilt? You know, obviously they'll need the help, as you mentioned, with, with the administration, but do you see that kind of potential there? You know, there, there are very few lifers in college football. There really are. Yeah. And, but I think Fitzgerald, Fitz is definitely a lifer at Northwestern. Mm-hmm. You know, much like Clark, he played there. And you talk about facilities, you know, wow. any any Vanderbilt fans or any fans, period, that live up in the Chicago area, do yourself a favor and go tour Northwestern's new facility. They're on the banks of the lake. I mean, it Insane. is unbelievable. Uh-huh. Unbelievable. So I don't care if you're Stanford. I don't care if you're Northwestern, if you're Vanderbilt. If it's important to you, you know, and you want to truly invest in your football program, because I still think even at a place that's academic, academically elite, like a Stanford, like a Northwestern, like a Duke, like a Vandy, you can still grow your university. Mm-hmm. You can grow 
student applications. And, and listen, not everybody can get into Vanderbilt or can get into Northwestern, but you, there's still a way to grow your university through your football program or your basketball program. And I think obviously Northwestern feels that way to spend that kind of money on its athletic football, on its football complex. Um, but no, I think Clark, you know, if, if, again, if Vanderbilt decides, listen, we really want to be good in football. Not only do we want to be good, you know, two years out of 10, we want to be good every year and be competitive every year. They're going to give them a chance. They're going to spend some money again on the player amenities. I don't think you have to go, you know, you go to Clemson's Clemson's athletic facility is like a, a resort, you know, they got putt putt <laughs> courses and, and like Disney world, all, all these things, you know, and these, these outdoor oasis where you go yeah. watch big screen TVs. <laughs> I mean, I, that maybe that's a little much, but I do think you've got to give players a reason to come and say, all right, boy, look at where I'm going to be spending most of my time. You know, where, where can I, where, where am I going to be as far as developing my abilities as a football player, whether it's, you know, locker room, training room, strength, the strength room or the you know, weight room, that kind of thing. I think that's important. And that's where I think, you know, having been to Vanderbilt several times now and, and toured, they have done some things, mm-hmm. you know, not that they haven't just done anything, but I think that's where they can do or have the most catching up to do with some of these other schools, like like you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now with the departure of Zeppos and now Chancellor Deermeyer, he has said a lot of the same things you just said, Chris, so we will have to wait and see. Again, we can talk a lot longer, but you are a busy man today, obviously, with, with Josh Heupel uh, going over to Tennessee and uh, the schedule release. But, Chris, thanks for taking the time. Uh, a lot of great information. Uh, we'll definitely catch up uh, when football season approaches. I appreciate you having me, Billy. It's always good to catch up. Well, that does it for episode 67 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Big thanks to my good friend Chris Lowe for checking in, giving us the latest on college football, especially here in the South with Clark Lee at Vanderbilt and Josh Heupel over at Tennessee. For myself, Billy Derrick, Will Byram, and Chris Lowe, you've been listening to episode 67 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors.